in the reading of this text in John chapter 14, I'll, I'll read it again in a little bit, but in John chapter 14, we sometimes make an assumption. And when Jesus said, I am the way, the assumption we make is that he's talking about a philosophical way of looking at life. That's basically what we're saying. That, that he's telling us how we ought to live our life. Uh, and it's, when I use the term philosophical or philosophy, I want to indicate to you, or let you know at least, that the word philosophy is a relatively new term, and Jesus didn't use that term during his lifetime, and neither did the New Testament writers, because the word philosophy probably didn't come into vogue until about the 6th century of our era, 600 years after Jesus. The word itself has to do with the fact that somebody knows how I ought to live my life, or they think they do. Have you ever found anyone who wanted to tell you how to live your life? To give you some advice? on what you should think, what you should feel, how you should conduct yourself, and what should be important to you or not important. When, when we reach seniority, and by that I don't mean age 65, retirement, seniority, by that I mean when you reach the age in your life when you realize that you have to make all your own decisions. When you're fully grown, fully mature, and you are responsible. When we reach that age, then we actually have to grapple with this idea of what do I believe, what do I want to do, and how am I going to get along on this earth, and what sort of life do I want to live? And like I said, there's plenty of people around who are willing to give you free advice to tell you how you ought to live, where you ought to live, what you should do on a job, and so forth. Have you ever found anyone who wasn't willing to give you some advice when you ask what you should do? Most people are very, very willing. That we're so willing that we've made a science of it, of philosophy. And there are individuals who have risen over the years who have set forth schools of philosophy philosophical thinking and they've written books and we sometimes follow them as a matter of fact probably the greatest western philosopher or the one who is called the father of philosophy and by the way let me define the word for you real quickly philosophy is from two words two greek words philo which means love and sophia which means wisdom people who love wisdom now that doesn't mean people who love to be smart it means people who love to think they know more than you do about whatever's going on. So the school of philosophy came about when individuals began to think that they knew how we ought to do things and how we ought to live, not only themselves, but others. One of the, one of the first, the father of, of philosophy, is generally known or, or considered to be a man by the name of Socrates. Now, I, I just have a few that I want to mention. There are thousands of these guys. Really, and if you Google them, if you get on Google, you'll find that there, you'll, you'll find hundreds of them that you can look at. I've studied the ones I'm going to mention, 
And so I've looked at what they thought and, wh and how they thought and what, what they thought we ought to do and, and what principles should guide us or govern us in this life. Now Socrates thought you ought, to, you ought to be able to ask enough questions and get enough answers that you'd know what you should do. And I'm just going to minimize the, the response. And I, I'd like for everyone to stay awake with what I'm, saying, what I'm saying because we're going to do some thinking together on this subject. René Descartes said, and he was a French philosopher, he said, cognito ergo sum. He said, I think, therefore I am. What he meant, of course I can tell you what he meant, I don't want to tell you what he meant, but the idea is, he said, if I couldn't think, I wouldn't be around, I wouldn't be here. So if you can't think this morning, you probably won't be with us at the end of the sermon. <laughs> I want you to think with me. Because these fellows were thinkers. Plato was one of the fellows that contemporary of Socrates. You've heard that name. Socrates was so famous for his thinking that he actually advised Philip of Macedon, the most powerful man in the ancient world in Greece. He advised him. Socrates had a disciple by the name of Aristotle. Aristotle advised Philip's son, Alexander the Great. Now, Aristotle uh, used the same sort of language, but he, he used syllogisms. And, and if you know anything about philosophy at all, you know something about syllogistic thinking. So he figured that there, there are always ways to reach a conclusion. And, and uh, he would use a syllogism like, a cat has four legs, therefore my cow is a cat. Well, so the syllogism can, can be wrong, of course, but that syllogistic thinking was part of the Aristotelian theory of philosophy. There are others, of course, Confucius, we know Confucius, and he said it's all relationship. In your life, if you just make sure you have all your relationships in order, get along with your family, get along on your job, get along with your in-laws, get along with everybody, that's Confucianism. Lao Tse, he was a more arrogant sort of a fellow, and he said, I am. He said what Jesus did. Right. Remember, Jesus said, I am that I am. Lao Tse said, I am. He said, he said, you ought to be a pacifist. Don't get involved in anything violent. He was a pacifist. Siddhartha Gautama Buddha you, you've seen the symbols of Buddha. He said, think about it. Meditate. You can get along better if you just meditate. And um, you've heard that before, I'm sure. Epicurus, he said, well, what, what will, you'll do better if you just make sure that all your senses are satisfied. So sometimes we think of Epicureanism as eat, drink, and be merry. That really wasn't what he was saying. But what he was saying is that make sure that all of your physical senses are satisfied. Now that's the way you get along in life. What they were telling you is, here's how you get through life. Here's how you get along. That's what they were, that's what they were indicating. 
Stoicism says, no, don't, don't, uh, don't take care of your emotions. Don't take care of your senses. Stoicism says, don't get involved. Don't get involved. Don't let your emotions get involved in anything. Nietzsche taught nihilism. He, he said, nothing really matters. You, you, nothing, nothing is important. It's all uh, irrelevant. Everything's irrelevant. Immanuel Kant said, follow the categorical imperative. Got that? <laughs> follow the categorical imperative. John Mill was a utilitarianism, a utilitarian and pragmatism. He said, whatever works, do it. Now, philosophers. I want to introduce another philosopher to you that knew how to live life and knew how we should live life. His name was Solomon. Did you know that that's what Solomon intended to do was set forth principles of philosophy. He was the first philosopher as far as I'm concerned. He was the first philosopher who said, here's what you do to get along. Now, Solomon was the son of David. And we're looking at about 400 years before Christ. He was a son of David, and when he was anointed, he was, he was anointed king. He said, there's one thing I want, Lord. He said, I, I've got, I'm, I'm young, I'm a child. As a matter of fact, he called himself a child. And you can look in 2 Kings chapter 1 with me, if you're, 2 Kings chapter 3, I mean, if you'd like to, because I'm going to read just a short verse. But Solomon said, Lord, you've made me the king, but I don't know how to, I don't know what to tell people to do. So he said, I want, I, want, I want some wisdom. And while we're thinking about Solomon, I want you to remember that he's not asking to be smart. He's asking to be wise. He wants to know how he should behave himself. Now, you know, you can see the difference in, in Solomon between wisdom and, and intelligence because Solomon was the wisest man on earth. And yet he wasn't very smart. Look at, he married all these women. He had nearly a thousand women, wives and concubines. And he went, he went astray from God. And he went off sacrificing to false idols later in his life. So even though he knew what he should be doing, he wasn't a very smart fellow. But he was a wise man. In, in the, this, this context... In 2 Kings, did I say chapter 3? I meant chapter 1. No, I'm sorry. 1 Kings. Who said 2 Kings? You did. I did, okay. 1 First, First Kings in chapter 3. Solomon's prayer. And he wants to know, he wants God to... Give him wisdom so he can take care of everyone. Now he said at verse, God, God answered that prayer, and it says at verse 10 in, second, in 1 Kings chapter 3, in verse 10, he said, The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And so he said he's going to give it to them. Now if you'll drop on down with me a little bit, he says at verse 12, Behold, I have done according to your word. I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like you before, 
neither after you shall any arise like you. So it doesn't make any difference what philosopher you're going to read about later after Solomon. None of them had it like Solomon had it. Do you want to know how to get along on this earth? Read the book of Proverbs. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Because Solomon tells you exactly how you can relate and get along well on this earth. And he's very, he's very adamant about it. Solomon is, Solomon is a very aggressive fellow. He uses the term fool or foolish or foolishly almost 200 times in these two books. And yet throughout the rest of the Old Testament, all the rest of the Old Testament, the word fool or foolish or foolishly appears less than 30 times. And here Solomon is using this term almost 200 times in his book telling us how we ought to live. I call it the duh factor. What he's going to say is, he's going to call me a fool because I don't know any better. He's saying, duh, don't you know that this is right? He tells, he tells the parents, make sure your children don't get out of hand. Duh. Sure, that's right. You say, well, yeah. And he's saying, the, the foolish child brings shame to his parents. Sure, I can see that. We can see what he's saying. So Solomon tells us, don't lend money to someone in your family. The fool does that. Solomon says, don't answer a fool according to their folly. Don't be like they are. Solomon is telling us things that our common sense says, yeah, <laughs> you're right, Solomon. If I follow this advice, things will go well with me. There's one thing that I, one, one place I want to take you to is, is chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs. Now, in that proverb, the fellow by the name of Lemuel is the speaker, probably following what Solomon has told him, and so he's writing it down. But he's going to give advice to women. And he's going to tell you that, that the godly woman is a woman that gets up early in the morning, takes care of her family, does her business, she buys a field, she goes out in the marketplace and takes care of that. She tends to her family. She makes sure that her husband is able to go sit in the gate with the elders and make big decisions. You know, Solomon preceded Bella Abzug. He preceded Betty Friedan. He preceded Gloria Steinman. Feminist. Solomon was a feminist. And he's saying to the women, he's saying, you can break that glass ceiling. Go buy a field. Go do your business. Go take care of your children. Make money. Make sure your house is in order. And your husband can go down and he can sit with the elders and make big decisions in the gates. I don't know why women today feel like they've got to get in the board of directors and make decisions when in fact they're doing most of the work as it is. 
And they're, they're, they can break the glass ceiling. And that's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, girl, go get it. You can do it. So he's making some, he's making some good recommendations for you in the Old Testament. And, and so I say, well, uh, how should I conduct myself, Solomon? And he tells me. He gives me that advice. He says, don't, don't meddle in other men's matters. Don't take a dog by the ears. Well, I can see that that's good advice. And so as we read all of this, he tells me it's foolish for me to do that. The word fool actually meant a simpleton. One who didn't have sense enough not to do something. Well, he's, he's very aggressive at this. He's actually telling us, you know, get with it. You, you, you ought to know this without me having to tell you, but he's telling us. So when we're talking about a relationship in life and how you get your relationships right and how you can get through this life the best, Solomon tells you, and he ends up in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. He says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. So he says, this will get you through okay. This is how you ought to live. Now, Socrates said, ask questions, get some answers. Laotse said, don't get involved in anything. Don't get yourself emotionally caught up in anything. The Stoics said the same thing. But Solomon said, when you get out there in commerce and get out there in life, here's how you should behave yourself. So if you really want to know something about how to get along on this earth, read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Read those books. Because Isaiah 55 verse 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord, nor are my ways your ways. But as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. So... If I want to know how God wants me to behave in interrelationships with my neighbor and so forth, read, read the book, read the Old Testament book of uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Jeremiah said, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in him. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. Now, I'm going to read John 14 again. That's why I want you to stay awake. Because... You've been hearing some things that I'm saying, and you're probably wondering some things. And what you're probably wondering is what I wondered when I was reading this and trying to get a handle on it. And that is that Jesus is not setting forth a system of philosophy. He is not saying, accept my philosophy of life and you'll get along better on this earth. That's not what he is saying. He's not setting forth a system, a philosophical system of behavior on this earth so that you can get along better on this earth. Now I'm going to read it. John 14, at verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now he's talking to the apostles. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. 
two things in this text. Two very important things. The first thing Jesus is saying is, I am the way. And the word way means road. It means the road. I'm the road. Where are we going, Lord? He said, I am the way to God. He's not saying I'm the way for you to get along on this earth because as a matter of fact, if you follow Jesus, you're probably not going to get along very well on this road. Jesus said in John 15, in verse 17 and 18, He said, the world hates me and it's going to hate you. You say, well, what about, isn't He talking about His philosophy of life? If we follow His philosophy, we'll get along better? No. If you follow the philosophy of Jesus, you may not get along better. You say, well, he says to love my neighbor. That's fine. Love your neighbor. Your neighbor may not love you back. And it may not be to your benefit in the long haul. You're supposed to forgive your neighbor. That doesn't mean that your neighbor is going to change and make himself into a nice fellow. Matter of fact, Jesus said sometimes they're going to slap you. Turn the other cheek. Now, Laodicea didn't tell you to turn the other cheek. Confucius did not say, and sometimes people think, Confucius is a guy that had the negative of the positive of Jesus when he said, do unto others as you have others do unto you. They say, Confucius said, don't do anything to anybody that you don't want them to do to you. Confucius didn't say that, by the way. What he basically said was, don't do to your servant what you wouldn't want your master to do to you. And others had something similar things like that. But the idea is, when we follow the philosophy of Jesus, it may not always be to our advantage. Now what the philosophers are saying is, if you'll follow us, everything you do will be advantageous. You can get along well better in this life. You may not get along better if you follow Jesus. It may be tough. And, and it, 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 as a matter of fact, it's going to be tough. He said, Jesus said that even your own family may hate you. Now what kind of philosophy of life do you think you ought to follow when it says when you follow me, you're going to get in trouble? Well, so what I'm saying basically is that in this context... Jesus is making a statement that actually takes my breath away. He's saying, number one, I am the way. Then he's saying, number two, I'm the way to get you to God. And the second thing he's saying is, there is no other way you can get there. Man, that is, I'll tell you what, that takes my breath away. He's saying, you can't get there unless you go with me. Unless you go on this road, you're not going to get there. Now that, that's, that's pretty adamant. I'm going to use the analogy. Let's, let's look in Isaiah chapter 35, if, if you have your Bibles. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's a couple of statements made, but this one in particular really grabs my attention because it talks about the way. Now remember, we're saying that Jesus is the road. Sometimes the word in the New Testament, hodos, which is the Greek word, is actually translated journey. But either way, let's, let's look at it in terms of being a road. In chapter 35 of Isaiah, verse 8, 
Isaiah is making a prediction. He's saying, a highway shall there be, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. And the unclean shall not pass over it. But it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. In other words, once you get up on the road, you can stay on that road. That's what he's saying. Even if you're sort of a simpleton, like me. Once you get on the road, Jesus said, you can stay on that road. No line will be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up there, and it shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransom of the Lord will return, come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow, and sighing shall flee away. Now he's using the term not only road or way, but he's using the term highway. Now that was a term that was known in the time of Jesus, the word highway. Did you know that? Uh, Do you know what a highway is, I'm sure? A highway is a road that's raised a little above the elevation of the land around it. You know why? (laughs) So that when you're driving, you don't run through a lake. You know, you've got to be above the water level. Quite a bit of ways above the water level, as a matter of fact. They didn't raise the roads high enough, I guess, down down south in the last couple of weeks because the water ran and in California the water was running over the roads well in the Roman Empire 300 years before Jesus they established a highway system and that highway system was composed of 250,000 miles of roads built by Rome that culminated in the city of Rome. Now they built those roads, those highways, so that they could move men and material. Basically it was for getting back and forth uh, to their outposts so they can take care of the land and take care of their their military needs. But they were called highways. And so here we have uh, Isaiah talking about a highway there will be. And so when we come to Jesus, and and we come to the statements made in the New Testament, we're actually talking about that highway that Jesus said, He said, I am the way. I'm the I'm the I'm the one that you, you've been you've been hearing about. Now I want to read read for you in the book of Luke in chapter three. Uh, and sometimes we we read this text in Matthew, but I, I like Luke's context. When John the Baptist came to prepare for Jesus, John the Baptist said in in Luke chapter 3 at verse 4, he was reading, he said, it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight, every valley will be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough way shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Prepare the way of the Lord. So now, the Lord says in John chapter 14, verse 6, He says, I am the way. I am the highway. Now, that's an analogy. You know what an analogy is? It's a figure of speech. An analogy can be made up of two or three different different forms of speech. One would be a simile. When, if Jesus said, I am like a road, that's a simile. But he didn't say that. He used a metaphor. He said, I am the road. I am the road. I am the road. 
So if you're going to get to God, you're going to have to come with me, by me, travel with me, use me. In 1957, I graduated from high school, and the next morning after I graduated, I decided I was going to California. And so I needed to find out how to get there. And I was told. And what I was told was that I had to get on Route 66. The highway system, interstate highway system was developed, started being developed in the 1920s. It was finally finished in the 50s by Dwight David Eisenhower because he had seen roads, highways in Europe and especially in Germany that he thought were, were good and needful to, to move military supplies. So he wanted to develop the, international, the national inter, interstate highway system. Anyway, in 1957, I was told, get on Highway 66 and it will take you to California and I wanted to go to Long Beach, California. But in order to get to Highway 66, we lived in a little town in northwest Texas called Dalhart. And Dalhart didn't run, 66 didn't run through Dalhart, it ran through Amarillo. So I had to get on Highway 54. And I went down to Highway 66, I got on 66, and I went toward California. I got to Riverside. I did not want to go to Los Angeles. That's where 66 went. I wanted to go to Long Beach. So I stopped in Riverside. And I stopped at a filling station. And I said, hey, how do I get to... And by, at this time, by the way, they had attendants. They came out and checked your oil. They wiped your windshields. I bought, I bought more gasoline than I could put in the car for $5. So anyway, this young fellow was doing this. He was older than me, but anyway... He was doing all this, and I said, how do I get to Long Beach? And he said, well, and he was a smart aleck. He said, you could ride a bicycle, or you could walk, or you could hitchhike. And I said, I said do you have a map? And he did. At that time, maps were free. So I got a map, I got off of 66, and I went to the town I wanted to go to, Long Beach. Now, road maps take us where we want to go, don't they? So, the map we have to get us, now listen to where I'm trying to get you. I want you to get on 66. I want you to get on the road. The map we have is God's Word. He can get us on the road. In, in uh, Psalms chapter 73, verse 24, it, it, the text says, Thou shalt guide me with your counsel, and afterwards receive me up to glory. So let's just assume that everybody in this audience, everybody in the sound of my voice understands, that the road map we have to get to the road, listen to what I'm saying, think with me, to get to the road is the Bible. Now, the Old Testament gets us to the gate. Highway 54 got me to 66. But it did not turn into 66. It stopped there. But it deposited me on 66. Then I'm on the road. Off I go. The Old Testament does not take you to heaven. It does not take you to God. The Old Testament takes you to the gate. 
where you can get on the road. That's what the Old Testament does. People reading the Old Testament sometimes get confused and say, well, this, this will tell me all I need to know about pleasing God. No, brother, sister, it doesn't do that. The Old Testament takes you to the gate so you can get on the road with Jesus. Didn't Jesus say in John chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, didn't he say, I am the door? And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says, Straight is the gate, and broad is the way that leads unto destruction. Or wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go thereat. But straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life. So the gate, we have to get in the gate. We have to get to the gate so that we can get on the road. Now that's, that's the analogy that, that we're working on here because that's, that's what's happening in the Old Testament. Now look in Luke chapter 24. What happens is, as you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is part of the road system. And at one time there was a statement made, and I want to divert just a minute. There was a statement made one time that says, all roads lead to Rome. And you know why they made that statement? It was because Marcus Aurelius, I think it was, built a monument in, in the city of Rome by, by the uh, Presidium. He, he built a monument called the Millennium Aurelium, the Golden Marker. And he said every road started there and went out. So they've said every road leads to Rome. Let me tell you something. Every road does not lead to God. Every road does not lead to the gate. You have, you have people that are teaching things that are not going to take you to the gate. They're not going to take you where you need to get on and get in. Every road in this world, all the philosophies that you're reading, are not going to take you to that gate. Some of them don't even want to take you close to the gate. Not, in, not at all. But the, but the Old Testament, if we read the Old Testament correctly and read it as it's written, then we know that it takes us to the gate. It takes us to Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, He said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said, Thus is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins shall be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So he's saying, The law and the prophets, everything in the Old Testament, leads to me. If the road you're on does not lead you to the cross, you're on the wrong road. And you're not going to get through the gate. Because narrow is the gate, and straight is the way that leads unto righteousness. Well, Hebrews chapter 1, at verse 1 and 2 says, God who at sundry times in diverse manners spake of the fathers by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So Moses and Elijah pointed toward the entry gate. They pointed toward Jesus. But you cannot follow Moses and Elijah. You cannot follow the law and the prophets and get to God. It, they will not take you to God. Um, there's a couple of texts that, that I could refer to, but the one I want to refer to is found in, 
in uh, Luke chapter 9. And we'll turn to that. And while we're turning to that, I'll, I'll tell you what was going on. And if you can if you, you can find the text generally. Some of you will probably look, look for the text in uh, Matthew chapter 17. But the text is this, that, that Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up into a high mountain. And there he was transfigured. You remember that story? He was transfigured. His face shone white as the light, white as the sun. His, his garments were white as the light. And uh, while, before he got going on this thing, these fellows fell asleep. The three men that came with him fell asleep. And for some reason they popped open, they, their eyes popped open, and they saw Jesus standing there. And he's talking to Moses and Elijah. Now Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. So he's talking to Moses and Elijah. And Peter decided, hey, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three monuments. We'll make one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And a voice out of the bright cloud that overshadowed them said, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. If you're going to get to God, Jesus is the one who's going to tell you how to do it. Moses cannot get you to God. Neither can Elijah get you to God. You're going to hear a lot if you watch any, anything on TV, a televangelist. They'll take you back in the Old Testament and wallow around all around that Old Testament and try to tell you all sorts of things that the Old Testament is talking about. But I'll tell you this. These two individuals pointed toward the gate. They said, this is how you get to heaven. You get to the gate you get to the cross, and Jesus will put you on the road. But if they're not taking you there, they're taking you astray. If people are looking at that Old Testament and telling you they're saying something different than the fact that it's a roadmap to Jesus, they're wrong. That, that's, a, that's a, I think, the simplest way, the easiest way I can say it. The law and the prophets were until John, Luke 16, 16, from that time, the kingdom is preached and all men press into it. So the law and the prophets took them to John the Baptist. And you know what John said? He said, I came to tell you about the one. He said, here he is and he can take you to God. He was talking about Jesus. Mark 16, verse 15 and 16, when Jesus rose from the dead, he took the apostles up on a high mountain and there he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. So Jesus said, Get on the road. Come with me. Now while Jesus was on this earth, He was guiding the apostles. He did not guide them to the Father. He wasn't taking them to the Father. That wasn't the time yet. But He was giving them counsel and guidance. But He said, When I leave... I'm going to send someone who can guide you. So if we keep the analogy of the road in mind, what we're thinking is, okay, okay, Lord, here's what's happening. I've, I've reached the age of seniority. I'm wondering what I should do with my life. Matter of fact, I'm thinking to myself, I've been on the wrong road. I need to get on the right road, which is repentance, Luke 13:3. So I need to get on the right road, and then I find Jesus, and I say, 
I believe in Him. I believe in Jesus. I think He can take me to you, God. I think He can take me to you. I believe. Then I'm baptized. Now then, I'm on the road. Where do we go? How do I know where to go? When I was going to California, you know what I was looking for? Route 66. I was looking for the signs. I stayed on that road. I could have gotten off the road and would not have gotten there, but I stayed on the road because there were signs along the way. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to put you on the road and then I'm going to, I'm going to give you some signposts to show you where you're going. Who's going, to, who's going to put up the signs? In John chapter 14, if you'll, if you'll follow there with me, at verse 15, Jesus is talking to the apostles and He's saying, If you love Me, keep My commandments. And I will pray the Father, He'll give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees Him not, neither knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and shall be in you. He said, I'm going to send someone so that you'll know where you're going. And then if you look on down at verse 25, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things, bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. So he'll remind you of what I've said, and he'll show you things to come. Now verse 12 in chapter 16. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth, he shall not speak of himself, Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He'll show you things to come. So he's telling the apostles, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to tell the apostles where to put the road signs up. How to get there. That's what the apostles are going to do. And that's what they did. In Hebrews chapter 1, at verse 1, God who at sundry times and divers manners spoke to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. And then the Son in turn sent the apostles and they spoke by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's possible that while we are going along on the road, it's possible that we can get off the road. As a matter of fact, it's not only impossible, it's probable that it can happen. There's a statement made in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil stalketh about seeking whom he may devour. Who, who do you think is going to change the road signs if they can? Who do you think is going to try to get you off that road with Jesus? It's the devil. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to say, hey, take this road. Go this way. Go that way. Well, it's possible. Not only possible, it's probable. And it did happen in the, time, in the times of, of uh, the writing of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, he said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that calls you into the gospel of Christ, into the grace of Christ, unto another gospel, which is not another gospel, but some pervert the gospel of Christ. Some are changing it. So when we're, when we're going along, we have to make sure that we're following the signs, the road signs that the apostles have put up. In chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, at verse 1, it says, The Spirit speaks expressly. That's, of course, the Holy Spirit speaking through the apostles and prophets, New Testament, that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. 
giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. The, the idea is that the adversary wants to change the sign, signpost. Paul said in, in Ephesians 5 verse 6, he said, Be not deceived. Don't be deceived. How can we keep from being deceived? I remember years ago there was a, there was a famous evangelist who was speaking to a humongous crowd of people. And while he was speaking, he was saying some things that were not in the Bible. And there was a little lady in the middle of the audience uh, somewhere, small, diminutive lady. And while he was speaking, she stood right up in the middle of the audience and held her Bible up and she said, Book, chapter, and verse, please, preacher. Book, chapter, and verse. Why? She was looking for the signpost. And she wasn't seeing any. She's seeing this guy leading her off somewhere else. Someone said, oh no, you really can't get off, you, you really can't get off the, the beaten path. You, you really can't. You, you can't. you can't stray. Well, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 4 says you can stray. As a matter of fact, it says some head straight. In Hebrews chapter 4, and in verse 4 it says, Impossible for those who were once enlightened have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made protector of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the power of the world to come, if they will fall away. So it's possible to fall away. Well, we can, what happened? How do we fall, how do we fall away? Have you ever fallen asleep at the wheel? You're driving down the road, you're on the highway, everything's going smooth, sun's shining, maybe early in the morning and you, you're cruising along and you just fall asleep at the wheel. Well, that's what can happen if we're not careful when we're, when we're on the road with Jesus. If we fall asleep at the wheel, we're liable to fall into the ditch. There are two things that, that are, are in our favor when we're on the road. When Jesus said, I am the way, no man comes to the Father except by me. I failed to mention a while ago, but I want to mention this. That that our society feels like we need to compromise everything that we believe and know. And sometimes that leads to what is called ecumenism. Which means that it doesn't make any difference what other people teach. We can all be together in this. Ecumenism. We can sort of get all mixed up in it. And there are some who, who actually believe that, that it's okay if you consort with individuals regardless of what they're teaching. But the point we've been making and the point Jesus makes is you cannot get to God except by me. You can't take another road and get there. When we say all roads lead to Rome, that may be true. But all roads do not lead to heaven. All roads do not lead to God. There are roads that are wrong and as a matter of fact, all the philosophies of this world, all the wisdom of this world, is nothing. The world by wisdom, Paul said in 1 Corinthians one twenty one, knows not God. So I don't care what Epicurus said, and I don't care what Socrates said, and I don't care what Buddha said, I don't care what Mohammed said, I don't, I don't care what Siddhartha Gautama said, I don't care what Laodice said, I am, I care what Jesus said. Because he said, I'm the only way you're going to get there. 
I'm the only road. So all roads do not lead to heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that, that they do. Jesus leads us to heaven. And the, the things that we have that help us is that we have a traveling companion. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. So Jesus is my traveling companion. You know what Daniel Boone was known for? He wasn't much of a politician, and he wasn't much of a, he wasn't much of a trapper and so forth, but Daniel Boone could seem to remember where he'd been. So he kind of knew where he's going. He, he could go, go on, through the wilderness and find his way back. And then he could take you through and find your way back. That's what Daniel Boone was known for. He was known for his great memory of where he was. I have a companion named Jesus. He knows where we're going. And I'm going with him. I know where we're going to end up. I know that. Because I have confidence in Jesus Christ. And Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So now when I come to the end of life, and I'm with God, with Jesus, and I come to the end of life, and I'm standing at that dark, deep chasm, at the precipice, and I'm saying, Lord, I'm getting ready to step over. And he says, here we go, Bill. We're going together. Now that's what the Bible teaches. He resurrected, and I know that he still lives, and he still lives with me. And when we step over, we step over together. If you need to start your life with Jesus, you need to get on that road, maybe this is the time for you to do it right now. You, you, we'll give you that opportunity here. But if you ever feel like in your, in your heart, hey, I need to find the road. Can you help me, Bill? I can show you in the Scriptures where the road is. And I can show you how to get in. Give me a call if you want to talk to me because I'm available. And so are others here. Let's stand and sing the song of invitation.